If you uh, got your Bibles, you know what I'm going to say. Got a great thing. <laughs> Change it up on you. Uh, okay, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to be in Matthew 2. We're going to take a couple weeks off from Ephesians uh, and kind of uh, do a little uh, side study, if you will. Um, so as we prepare for 2022, um, we have a lot to be thankful for. I hope you all know that. Uh, this church has a lot to be thankful for. Uh, I know as the pastor of this church, and I know I speak for Robert as well, uh, we are thankful to have folks like you to serve with. Uh, no question, uh, I am uh, grateful for that. Um, and I know it's a privilege uh, to be your pastor. I hope you all know that I know that, and I truly believe that. Uh, so, um, but, you know, hey, we're, we're heading into 2022. Uh, we have 18 months uh, left before this, for the rapture. No, <laughs> 18 months left before the, uh, uh, we are done with this lease. And certainly this place has been great. Uh, I am not uh, arguing with that at all. I'm glad we have our own place. We don't have to set up and break down every week and all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're at a place now in our church where I think we're ready now to get our own place. And we're going to do that. Um, that is the plan uh, for when our lease runs up, I believe June of, of 2023 is uh, going to be our last month here. Uh, with that being said, starting somewhere around May or June of this year, we're going to have to start to seriously look at where we're going to uh, uh, make our, our final destination, if I can say that that way, because I do want the next place we go to be our final destination. With that being said, uh, what you're going to see us really be, uh, myself and Robert included, what we're really going to be focused on in 2022 is uh, personal evangelism. Uh, I'm going to really hammer that home for everybody. What I would like to see, and what I'm hoping and praying that everybody will be uh, really uh, attempting to do is, uh, man, uh, get somebody sitting next to you next year. We need somebody to sit next to you next year that's not already here. Uh, that is going to be the push for 2022. Uh, so with that being said, uh, what I wanted to do here for, for a couple weeks is kind of give us some messages that will lead us into that push. And then, you know, naturally, we're going into uh, Ephesians uh, chapter number three, moving into chapter four. And, you know, Paul when he turns this whole mystery of the body of Christ into the practical teaching, uh, what we're going to see is it's all going to line up perfectly. Uh, did I design that on purpose? Maybe, uh, but you couldn't prove it either way. So it is what it is. Uh, we'll go with it. Um, all right. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open up to uh, uh, Luke 1 and Matthew 2. Luke 1 and Matthew 2. What I want to start, though, uh, we'll have on the screen and if you notice how I have up there right now, it's going to be the kind of title. Go back one. This is going to kind of be the, uh, the, the, the title of the series for the next couple of weeks. The sun, and notice how I spelled that, <laughs> will rise again. Uh, obviously, we know that the Lord Jesus came the first time. And uh, as, as great as an event that was, and please, I am not uh, trying to uh, undermine that. As we're going to see this morning, 
It is and it was a great event. But I want you all to know, when we really get down to this man, he is going to come again. The sun is going to rise again and the day is coming. And I don't know when that day is. Uh, seems like Bill's got the perfect date, down, not got it down right to a day here. And then potentially he might be right. Who knows? But what I do know is today we are one cl- day closer than we were yesterday. And the day is going to come. And here's the question that I really want to put in everybody's mind as we go through these next two weeks. Do you really believe that? Not just do you say it. Or not just, well, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, one day it'll come. Do you really believe it? Because here's the thing. As we're going to see over the course of the next couple of weeks, those Jews had everything they needed to know that their Messiah was coming. And what did they do with it? Let's not lose sight of that because we can fall in those same traps if we are not careful. And so with that being said, the way, you can go ahead and click it now, Aaron. Uh, the way the Old Testament closed, the last chapter of the Old Testament was written by an Italian prophet named Malachi. And listen, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. No, Ray says stop. Okay, all right. Uh, no, his name was actually Malachi. Uh, and uh, listen, this is what he wrote. This was the final, to a Jew today, an Orthodox Jew, this is it. This is the last time, as far as they can see, that God has spoken to them. And what he said to them was, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. In verse number five, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So, for a Jew, okay, get it, Malachi was written somewhere around 400 B.C. We're about 400 years Uh, Before the birth of Christ, Uh, many call this the silent years, although I'll tell you God was not silent during these years. There was a lot of stuff going on that he said would happen that happened. Uh, but, But from a scriptural standpoint, God was silent for 400 years. It wasn't until the birth of Jesus that uh, uh, New Testament uh, uh, scripture started to be written again. Uh, Now again, repeat, for a Jew, that means nothing. They don't buy the New Testament. As far as they're concerned, they're waiting for the coming of Elijah. That's what they're looking for. Because Elijah uh, was going to be the, uh, uh, the one to proceed 
the coming of Messiah. The coming of Messiah. Now, if a Jew understood their scriptures, they would have understood what was taking place during the life of Christ. Okay, so go with me. And when I say go with me, just on the screen, okay? I have you where I want you. Go with me to Matthew 11. I want you to see what Jesus said about this John the Baptist. He said, for this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there had not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, what Jesus was referring to was a prophecy that was written. By the way, you should need a King James Bible because the uh, all your other translations say that it was Malachi who wrote this. Or when the fact of the matter is, Isaiah actually wrote this. And if you look at Isaiah, uh, 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 or I'm sorry, if you look at Malachi three one, uh, you're going to get the, the the other translations say Isaiah wrote this when Malachi wrote it. What did Malachi say? Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant who you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts, but who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? And and listen. As much as that means a lot to the Jew and was applicable to the Jew, remember all scripture is written for our learning. And the question we need to ask ourselves, who's going to abide the day of his coming? And who's going to stand when he appeareth? Because we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Yeah, yeah, y'all see how that all fits nicely. He is like a refiner's fire, and all of our works are going to get thrown into a fire. Okay? And like Fuller's soap. Listen, the Jew knew that before the coming of their Messiah, a messenger was going to be sent. And that messenger would be Elijah. That's what, to an Orthodox Orthodox Jew today... That's what they're waiting for. What they missed is that it happened. It happened in their lifetime. If you go to Matthew, back to Matthew 11, it, Jesus finishes up and he says, And if you will receive it, this is Elijah, which was for to come. And, and I, w- I should have read, made this read, but really pay attention to this. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, I gave you everything you needed to know for the time of my coming and for the coming of of my messenger. You missed it. You missed it. All right? So if you receive the messenger, then you will receive the Messiah. The promise was made in the Old Testament that the Son would arise. S-O-N. The Son will rise. And can I just say this? As just as he said that he would, he did. And just as he said that he will again, he will. 
he will. Do not make, let us not make the same mistake the Jew made. There is something glorious about the sun rising. Every morning it breaks back the darkness. And we are living in some dark times, are we not? Paul wrote in Romans that the night is far spent. The day is at hand. And we are living biblically in a biblical darkness, a biblical nighttime, okay? But the day's coming when, or the time comes every morning when the sun rises and it brings hope, it brings light. And I think we all would agree, especially if we were standing in the, the, the sands of, 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 of the beach, it's beautiful. And do note that God has not disconnected himself from his creation. His creation declares the glory of the Lord every morning. It's, it's a reminder to us that as sure as the S-U-N will rise, so will the S-O-N. The sunrise rose one time, 2,000 years ago, and it's going to rise again. And we can find hope in that. We can find help in that. If we put our rest in that, it will be a beautiful, joyful thing for us to understand. The beauty of the sunrise and the stroke of God's pen is so magnificently put together if we're willing to look. I have you in Luke chapter 1. We're going to kind of walk through uh, some of these verses uh, over the course of the next two weeks. But it starts with this. Luke says this. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write the in order, most excellent Theophilus, and four is where I really want to pay attention to, that thou mightest know the, underline that right there, certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. The certainty. Listen. Make no mistake about it. The first coming of Jesus Christ was certain. It was certain. It was certain that it was going to happen. Why? Because God always fulfills every jot and tittle of his word. It was certain he would come. And obviously, we know that he did. Verse 5 goes on to say, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah. And his wife was the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he was in the temple of the Lord, 
And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. A couple quick things I want to, a couple quick notes I want to make here. You know, you got to love this book. (laughs) Okay. Does anybody know what the name Zacharias means? Uh, Our Bible study looked at this uh, not too long ago. Um, Check this out. It means God remembers. That's pretty interesting. And then Elizabeth, who is uh, Zacharias's wife, means his oath. So here you go. Right? You got this. You got this. This event getting ready to happen, and 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 how does it start with this guy named Zacharias and his his wife? Uh, by the way, they are one flesh, right? Named uh, Elizabeth, and the and what it means is God remembers His oath. And the question is, is which oath are we talking about? What is it that God's remembering? Well, doesn't take long to figure that out. If you go to Psalm 89, uh, obviously we go to a lot of places, but Psalm 89 gives it to us really well. He says, my covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Man, if we just stopped right there and paid attention to that. I'm not going to alter it. If it's gone out of my lips, <laughs> I've sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne, and you can see the, the tie-in now, as the sun before me. And I love this, if you really pay attention to the propheticness of it. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness. And folks, you know what the moon represents in the Bible? The bride of Christ. And the question is, are we being a faithful witness to this? Are we being a faithful witness? God said, I will remember my oath. I will not break or alter anything that has gone out of my lips. By my holiness, I will not lie. What I promise to David, I will accomplish and the question is now as the lord was pulling all the stops here during the time of the birth of jesus at the end of the day when it's all said and done did jesus sit on the throne of david but he'll remember his covenant his he was sworn by his holiness he's not going to alter a thing Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David. Be mindful of that. It's coming. The nation of Israel had no word for over 400 years since Malachi promised the coming of Elijah. Yet it was soon to see the birth of one who came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And ultimately the one who would take away, as John writes, the sin of the world. Now get the picture. Get the picture. The Jew, among other Old Testament books, the one I want to focus in on is the book of Daniel. And, and the reason why I say that is because if they 
understood the book of Daniel, they would have knew the time of his coming. Because Daniel, chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, lays it out precisely when he was supposed to come. Okay? And because the Jew did not, we can call it whatever we want, they didn't have enough faith, they didn't understand, whatever it is, however you want to tag that, they did not know the time of his coming. And the more things change, the more they stay the same. The religious seminaries were the reason for them stopping to believe the word of God literally back in that day. They were being told by their Jewish uh, synagogues uh, that, that all the prophecies were merely symbolic. They were politically oriented. They were waiting for the coming of a conqueror to deliver them from the Roman Empire. That's what they were looking for. That's what they were waiting for. They just didn't buy into the preciseness of the word. They couldn't understand it. To this day, to this day, a Jew will think that Isaiah 53, that the suffering servant is Israel. Okay? So they got some things messed up. Pretty big things messed up. And what I want to relay to you is, listen, did God hold them responsible for those things? Why do we think he's not going to hold us responsible? Why do we think that it, well, you know, it it just doesn't matter? It does matter. It all matters. God, when he says something, it matters. Is that okay? Interestingly enough, Daniel, uh, he told some other folks about what was going on during that time. Uh, You know, the Gentiles, and here's the crazy part. The book of Daniel obviously is Jewish. The book of Daniel is speaking to the Jew. But what happens is Daniel... Uh, go ahead and click me. In chapter number two, do you remember when Nebuchadnezzar had that dream? And, and Daniel was able to interpret that great dream, which, by the way, uh, unbelievable within itself. But, but after he's able to interpret it, look what Nebuchadnezzar does. Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, fell upon his face and worshiped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and the Lord of kings. Amen. And a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Do you want to know how those wise men knew about that star back in Numbers 24? Do you want to know how those wise men knew about... I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell them Numbers 24, but they're just not working with me here. There it is. Look it. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not now. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Daniel taught those Gentile wise men... 
to look for the star. 500 years before the star came. And you have to ask yourself, when the Jew didn't believe, it was the Gentiles who did. It was the Gentiles who did. You're in Matthew chapter 2. Let's go ahead and take a quick look at that. And obviously, you know the story. Now, when Jerusalem, yeah, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. So now you know where these magi came from, these wise men. They came from Persia, uh, saying, now look, they knew, they knew who was supposed to come. This was not king of the Gentiles. They even knew who he was king over. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now, this little event, uh, uh, it, it kind of moved King Herod. He was kind of looking at this going, now, wait a minute, I'm the king over the Jews. Who, who, what, what are you talking about, king of the Jews? What's going on here? And so he goes to his wise men of his own, and they go, well, just so you know, back there in Micah 5, 2, it says, but thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. So that's what they're referring to right now. That's what they're talking about. And, and when he had gathered, verse 4, all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ, Messiah, should be born. And they said unto him, Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou, Bethlehem, the land of Judea, art not thou least among the princes of Judea, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. And then I want you to notice, just for, for uh, your own sake, that Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. So, Take note of this. When that star appeared was not on the night of Jesus' birth. It appeared about two years after his birth. The wise men did not come to the manger. The wise men came to his house. The wise men, it does not say there were three of them. Okay? There were three gifts. Yeah? Somebody in this room knows what those three gifts are. They named their band after it. Okay? And what those three gifts that were given meant something. They were prophetic. The gold represented the fact that Jesus was king. The, the uh, frankincense represented the fact that he would be the great high priest. And he is. And he is the king. 
Okay, and then, of course, the myrrh represented the fact that the king was going to die. And he did. He did. Now, does that ruin the Christmas story for you? I hope not. But at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, we want to be biblical. We want to be biblical. We want to understand what is actually right. Okay, so that we don't believe in things that are not right. Going back to Luke, okay, uh, listen, John, John the Baptist, who was going to be the uh, uh, forerunner of the coming of Messiah, John the Baptist, uh, first of all, we need to understand something. He was the lineage of a priest. Zacharias was a priest who was serving in the house of the Lord, which means then that John the Baptist had to come from the tribe of Levi, okay? Obviously, when the temple was built during the days of Solomon, the duties of the priests and the Levites changed, okay? Why? Because the whole idea of building a temple of God in a fixed location at Jerusalem it usurped what they were doing up to that point in the tabernacle, which was packed up and carried from one place to another. So there had to be some changes in the way they were going to minister in the temple. Duties concerning how one served God with respect to where he, uh, his presence dealt would have necessary, uh, necessarily, obviously, changed. Therefore, a very important chapter that I think uh, uh, we need to at least, if not for anything, have a biblical understanding of is 1 Chronicles 24. What happened in 1 Chronicles 24 is God lays out and organizes the priests and the Levites. And he does it in 24 courses. Now, sidetrack, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about it, but do know we are called the kingdom of priests as well. And there are 24 elders. I wonder if that has anything to do with anything. It does. Okay? That's how when we get to Revelation 4, if you start connecting the dots, what you learn is those 24 elders are the church. Okay? Uh, The body of Christ. That's a different story, different time. I don't want to get too much into that. I just threw that out for you if you did not know that. But what I do want you to know is that there were 24 courses. And interestingly enough, just like God does, when we're in Luke, it tells us, it tells us that Zacharias was of the course of Abijah. Abijah. Same, same guy. Well, if we were to go back to 1 Chronicles 24, what we would find out is that that would have been the eighth course. And, again, not pertinent to our message, but just for people who like to know their Bibles a little better. Listen, grab onto this, because this is mind-blowing. The priests in each division were on duty twice a year for a week of a time. So you had 24, 24, and each priest were on, each course would have been on duty twice a year. The other four were a separate thing that took place because of the special uh, uh, feast. So, so listen, in each course, there would have been somewhere well, well around a thousand per lot. So you're talking about somewhere around 24,000 priests. 
Okay? Do you understand what the chances are that you would have been picked? Your lot only serves twice a year. Two a year get picked. Your whole lifetime you could go without being picked. The reason why I'm telling you that is because on this particular one, Zechariah was picked. He was an old man. It probably, we don't know for sure, it probably was his first time. Can you imagine how mind-blowing that would have been for him? I mean, look, it says according to the custom of the priest's office, verse 9, right? Uh, it, 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 what they would do is they would cast lots to see who would get the privilege to serve the temple during that respective time. And it just so happened on this time, the lot fell to Zacharias. I'm sure this was all coincidental. I'm sure this was all by accident. And it just happened to fall on on Zacharias. What that meant was that those within each lot, if they got the ability to minister in the temple, as I've already said, even once in their lifetime, that would have been a big deal. And yet, at this time, the lot just so happens to fall to Zechariah. And I just have to ask the question, how must he have felt about that? Wow, I got chosen to go serve. That was a big deal back in those days to serve in the temple. It was considered a huge responsibility. It was considered a huge privilege. It was... Do you know every single one of you have been chosen to be that lot? It's a big responsibility. It's a big privilege. And just as John the Bat, or I'm sorry, Zacharias would have trembled inside, just as he would have taken his responsibility seriously, just as he would have gone into that temple with all reverence to the Lord. How about us? Because you know where that temple is today? In you. In you. It's in us. How are we doing? But as a side note again, for all my biblically minded people, hopefully it's everybody, it helps us understand the date of Jesus' birth. Interestingly enough, there was a uh, Jewish writer at the time by the name of Josephus. And he tells us the course of Abijah fell during the third month, which would have been somewhere around May or June, which means that after Zacharias returned home to his wife Elizabeth, she would have become pregnant somewhere either in late May or early June. Now, I have my own suspicions, about this. I couldn't prove this biblically. However, if you hear my suspicion, you might go, yeah, that's a pretty good suspicion. Okay, so let's 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 backtrack for a second. Let's understand Jewish feasts for a second. Okay? The third Jewish feast, or well, the first Jewish feast, was Passover. Okay? 
Passover is when you took the lamb and you slayed it, right? Okay, I don't think anybody in this room is in at least to the point of their understanding of Scripture to know that Jesus was the Lamb of God, that Jesus died on the Passover, which would have been, in Jewish reckoning, Nisan 14, okay? All right, the second feast would have been the Feast of, of uh, Unleavened Bread, and the third feast would have been the Feast of first fruits. The Feast of first fruits fell on the 17th of Nisan. Obviously, that would have been three days later, and that is the Feast of first fruits. Jesus was called the Feast of first fruits. It helps us understand, most likely, that Jesus was crucified on a Thursday, and he resurrected on a Sunday. The 14th being the, 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 the Nisan, or the Passover, 15th. Friday, 16th, Saturday, 17th, Sunday. Okay. What I will tell you is, it's absolutely no chance, an impossibility, that he died on a Friday. And it was definitely not a good Friday. Do what you want with that. Have fun with it. Whatever. But here is the crazy part now. Okay. Those were the first three feasts. But then, 49 days later, in what's called the counting of the omers, Okay, they celebrated the next feast. And that next feast, we call that the Feast of Pentecost. And you want to know when that falls in? Well, obviously, if Jesus died in Nisan, which would have been around March or April for us, Pentecost would be around May. Well, that's interesting. I am going to say my hunch is that John the Baptist was conceived on Pentecost. And that would make a whole lot of sense. It just would. Especially for what was coming. It was being ready to present the Messiah. The Messiah was coming. Now, whether he was uh, conceived in May or whether he was conceived in June, what we do know is that it was six months later that Jesus was conceived. Okay, not a smart guy, but if I take, let's just say May, and I add six months, that means Jesus would have been conceived somewhere around November, December. Now, if I am uh, continue to be a smart guy, if Jesus was born on December 24th, he was in his mama's room for 12 months. Uh, no. Obviously... His birth was somewhere around late August, early September. I think September is probably the right time frame. Okay, do with that what you will. I'm just showing you that your Bible is very precise. It, it does. If you want the truth of the matter, we have it all. And everything I'm talking about right now, you know, it's interesting. Why would the devil... Want to mess us up on these things? Do they really matter? Well, so what I would say is, well, if you just want to believe in tradition, then no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It doesn't matter when he was, you know, when he, when he, what day he went to the cross. It doesn't matter what day he was born on. It, none of that stuff matters. It doesn't matter if he was born in Bethlehem. It none of that stuff doesn't matter if there was three wise men or 20 wise men. It, none of that matters if you just want to believe Whatever. However, here's where I think you, what you're missing if, if you don't understand this. 
you're missing the fact of just how precise God is about stuff. He's very precise about stuff. He doesn't mess up. And not only does he not mess up, it happens when he says it's going to happen. You're going to miss all of that. Does it matter if Jesus died on a Wednesday, a Thursday, a Friday? I suppose if you're on that side of the fence, it doesn't matter. To me, I think it matters. I think it does because it helps us understand just how precise God is. And when he says something, it happens exactly the way he said it. Listen, that's what got me. That's where I went from borderline atheist to, yeah, okay, God, you're way smarter than I am. You, you don't joke around, man. You nail it. Not just some of the time. Every time. You nail it. You nail it. And listen, as certain as we are that he nailed Jesus' birth, I promise you, it's just as certain, if not more certain. Because as Peter says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. He's going to nail his second coming. But do know, those that should have been in the know in that day, where is the promise of his coming? I know. Keep saying that he's coming. Listen, man, that's just all, you know, it's just all symbolic. You know, he's not really going to come. It's just... More things change, more they say the same. But that's where we are today. And if you listen to what many are teaching, it's kind of the same idea. Verse 11 in Luke says this, And there appeared unto him, John now, he's, uh, I'm sorry, Zechariah, he's, he's in the temple. And, and listen, do take note of the wonder of what's going on in verse 11 because an an angel has not appeared to a jew for 400 years there's been silence zacharias who just happens to his name just happens to mean god remembers of a thousand people maybe more who could have been where his lot fell it's this guy by the way, on purpose, Zacharias is an old guy. His wife's old. His wife's barren. Where did I hear that story before? Huh? Where did I hear that story before? And, 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 and just so happens, his wife's name means his oath. And it just so happens that Zacharias is the guy in this temple when an angel appears. An angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And that can't be by accident because we know what the altar of incense is all about. Prayers of the saints. And I'm sure, I'm sure if you're a Jew who is in subjection to the Roman Empire at that time, I'm sure if you are a good Orthodox Jew, you are praying for the coming of the Messiah who's going to release you from this bondage. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled 
and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not. Our government seems like it's falling apart. This world feels like it's falling apart. But can I just tell you something? As certain as it was that the Lord was going to be born, it's just as certain to us He's going to return. So can I just say this? Fear not. We have nothing to fear. Fear not. Fear not. For thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. And thou shalt call his name John. And do you understand what the name John means? Yahweh is gracious. <laughs> can't make this stuff up, folks. You just can't make this stuff up. And thou shalt have joy and gladness. Do you have joy in your life? Do you have gladness in your life? If you have nothing to fear, then why is there not joy and gladness? We need to start living like what we are. What do you have to fear? Do you, do you fear death? Do you fear the death of others? Do you fear pain, sorrow? Why? God's going to wipe it all away one day. And you should know that. You should know that. We should know that. We have nothing to fear. We should have joy. We should rejoice at his birth. Because he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He is. And, and, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. Notice that not the Holy Spirit, from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall return to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts from the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord and just put yourself there, just put yourself in that moment when Zechariah is sitting here listening to this, when he heard the angel said that, say that, it should have clicked off in his mind. My son is fulfilling Malachi 4. What he should have done is been like, whoa, this is awesome. This is cool. But you want to know what Zacharias did? And Zacharias said unto the angel, whereby shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife well stricken in years. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. Genesis 18 we have somewhat of the same story. You got Abraham and, uh, and his wife. In verse 10 it says, And he said, I will certainly... <laughs> There's that certain word again. I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of my life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And do know, this is an angel that is revealing himself. To Abraham. 
speaking, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of thy life. And Sarah will have a son. Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. In other words, she had no children. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, I'm waxed old. Shall I have my pleasure, my Lord being old also? My husband's old too. Come on, dude. This ain't going down like that. We both know that. And the who is the one speaking to Abraham? I thought it was an angel. What does that say right there? And the Lord, that's Jehovah God. And the Lord said to Abraham, wherefore did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I surely bear a child which I am old? Now pay attention to this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? <laughs> Folks, is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee. Ooh. At the time appointed, he will return unto thee. We are living until the fullness of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And when the fullness of the Gentiles is fulfilled at the time appointed, he will return unto thee. Verse 19, we see again, and the angel answered, I'm back in Luke, and the angel answered and said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stands in the presence of God, and I am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak. Until the day of these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. Yeah, he sure did. And for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus had the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Listen, here was the problem. God said something was going to happen. God said it was going to happen, and Zacharias doubted. Just as Sarai, Sarah doubted. But God said, is there anything too hard for me? He did not believe. He doubted it. And you want to know what happened when he doubted it? His mouth was shut. I believe. And why is your mouth shut? Huh? When was the last time you spoke to someone about the Lord? <laughs> He's coming, I know it. Then why isn't your mouth opening? Because you know what happens when your mouth doesn't open? Because you're doubting it. I don't doubt it. Well, then why aren't you talking to people? If you really believed it, and can I say this? Before you think 
Well, that's not me. It happened to Israel at that time. They didn't believe. They didn't believe. They didn't understand, as Jesus says in Matthew 16, the signs of the times. They didn't get it. So let's be careful. It doesn't happen to us during this time. How tragic to have something be known to you, but because of our doubt, we don't share it. And if you don't think that there is something to this, unbelief is always dumb. It never has a message. One without faith should be silent. Those were the words written by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Let me repeat that so you hear it again. Unbelief is always dumb. It never has a message. One without faith should be silent. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on this earth? In Luke 19, as Jesus was getting ready to come into the city of Jerusalem on the, on the, 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 uh, uh, the week before his uh, death, uh, he says this. He beheld the city and he wept over it, saying, If thou had known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thy eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thy enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and the children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. Why? Why, God? Why is this going to happen? Because you knew us not the time of thy visitation. The Jew had every reason to know he was coming. They had every opportunity to know it. God had given them every opportunity to know it. But they didn't. They didn't know it. And you know what happened? Do you understand what Jesus is saying is going to happen to them? Because they didn't know it. Your temple is going to be destroyed. And they're not going to leave one stone upon the other. And you are going to be dispersed for 2,000 years. My question is, did God hold them responsible for it? Why do we think he won't to us? Honestly, why do we think that? Where have we gotten that in our minds? That he's not going to... They were the chosen people and he still held them responsible. Just because we are the church does not mean he's not going to hold us responsible. And he will. He will. In Matthew 23, in the same uh, uh, context, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stoneth them which are sent unto thee, how often I would have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth his chicken under the wings. And you would not. Church, how often I would have gathered you under my protection. I would have taken care of your fear. I would have taken care of your, your lack of, of, of faith. I would have taken care of... But you would not. But you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. 
And I pray this house is not left desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till you say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And that is the Jew predicament right now. They have been blinded. And they are going to continue to be blinded until the day, as a nation, they say, Hosanna. Peter, Peter, I already made reference to it, says this. The second epistle, beloved, writing to the body, I write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. So what Peter's saying here is, hey, hey, I want to remind you of something. Remember this, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before the holy prophets and the commandments of the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Is he our Lord and Savior? Uh, Okay. Knowing this first, in the last days, there's going to be scoffers walking after their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? And and listen, can I say this? Before we look out there and look at the scoffers, are you a scoffer? Why? He's coming, I believe it. Then why is your mouth shut? And if you don't believe what I'm saying right now, Peter wants to stir this up into you. And remember this. He says, the Lord, verse 9, is not slacking concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. I wonder why Peter is bringing that up. Well, the Lord is just going to bring everybody to repentance. Ah, good. Well, watch. Hold on a minute now. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Hey, do you believe the Lord's going to return with vengeance and fire? And take care of all this? You believe that? Well, then what manner should you be in all holy conversation? What manner should you be in all godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. If we won't proclaim it, the question is, do we really believe it? And if we don't really believe it, have we really received it? Listen, as Luke said, we need to let them know that his return is certain. Yes, the Son has come. Yes, the Son lived. Yes, the Son died. And yes, He rose again. But also, yes, he's going to come again. We need to tell them the reason for the first sunrise so that 
the second sunrise goes well for them. That when the second sun rises, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to return. And one day, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. But they need to not wait for that day. We need not to wait for that day. We need to be living for that day now. Can't be silent. The birth of Jesus was foretold. There's no doubt about it. It was foretold. He was to be born in Bethlehem. And can I say this? This is not just a good story. This really did happen. Do you really believe it? Do you really believe it? And if we really believe it, and we really know that for a certainty he came, and we need to know for a certainty he's coming again, and we need to not make the same mistakes the Jews made. Don't make the same mistake. I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation. What I am going to say, though, is he held them responsible and he will hold us responsible too. We have a job to do. And in 2022, that's what we're going to be about. We're going to be about the Father's business. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. Father, we come before you, Lord. We want to thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the certainty of your birth. Thank you for the certainty that before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. Thank you for the certainty of your death to save us. Lord, and and, and as awesome as all that is, and and certainly uh, we would be Uh, in a very bad place if it wasn't for any of that. Help us to remember now that if we are yours, just as Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Why? It's a reasonable service. It's reasonable for us to be what you've called us to be because it is certain. You're coming again. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We are so grateful for this church. Lord, please continue to work in and through us. Give us a fire like we've never had before, Lord, for other people and the souls of the lost. Help us to be bold in our faith. Help us to to, to talk to people, not condescendingly or in a know-it-all manner, uh, but in such a way that we would be about the Father's business. We do love you. We look forward to your return. But until then, it is certain we need it. We have a job to do. And so, Lord, give us the power to do it. Help us to prepare, just as John the Baptist did. Prepare the way of the Lord. And we'll give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name I pray. And all the church said, Amen. Amen.